Well, as we just heard, Jesus gives us the two greatest commandments in our gospel today, that we are to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and our neighbor is ourself. Beautiful and simple, pretty basic stuff. Yet I could imagine some in our society might have a few objections to these two greatest commandments. I could imagine somebody saying, look, I get loving neighbor. That makes sense to me. I get what that looks like. How do I love God? Well, I don't even see. I can't see. And then, you know, because we live in a philosophically dense age, many will say, well, because I can't see God, maybe he doesn't exist. Now, he exists whether or not we believe in him or think that. And we can know that by using our reason, can use philosophy. St. Thomas Aquinas does a great job of this, of looking at the visible effects of creation and reasoning to an invisible creator. But we also know God exists because he reveals himself to us. The invisible God makes his presence and existence known to us. He speaks to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. He gives the law to Moses. He speaks through the prophets, culminating with the incarnation, when the eternal Son of God became man. In Jesus Christ, the invisible and eternal God is made visible. And more than just the invisible, eternal God being made visible, His love for us is made manifest. Right? It is for our sakes that God becomes man. Think of John 3.16, right? God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that those who believe in him might not perish but might have uh, eternal life. And then, of course, his love is made manifest in the fact that he endures the torture of Good Friday, his death, his resurrection. But I could imagine many in our age responding to that and saying, look, that's great. I didn't live. I don't live in... Galilee or Jerusalem in those 33 years Jesus walked the earth. So you're still asking me to love a God that I can't see. How do we respond to that? Let's say you can see him, just need the eyes of faith to him. Recently I reread a, a book that, that we read in seminary. It's called The Stripping of the Altars. And really, it's a book with two parts. The first part is about late medieval piety in England, when, when England was still Catholic, and in fact, it was a, it was a deeply Catholic country uh, until Henry VIII imposed Protestantism on it. And so second part of the book, it's called Stripping of the Altars for a Reason. It's, it's about Henry VIII imposing Protestantism on him and subsequent monarchs doing that. But often medieval piety is kind of derided as superstitious. And I'm sure there's an example or two somewhere, but there are examples of superstition in every age. In reality, late medieval piety in England was profoundly Eucharistic. Now, the, the custom around Holy Communion was very different, right? Most people received Holy Communion once a year at Easter. 
Some received more, but that wasn't the norm. However, they would go to Mass on Sunday, on feast days, more if they could, and they saw this as seeing one's maker. That's what they called it, seeing one's maker. For the priest, after saying the words of the consecration, this is my body, would lift the host up high, and they would gaze upon their God. And that is true not just for late medieval England, but for Christians of every generation. Jesus Christ institutes the Eucharist to give us this sacrament of his abiding presence so that the invisible and eternal God would be made visible in each and every altar mass is celebrated down through the ages until he comes again. Yes, our eyes see what appears to be bread, sees what appears to be a chalice filled with wine, but our faith supplies where our senses fail. And we know it is Jesus Christ, really, truly, substantially, body, blood, soul, divinity. He humbles himself even more in the Eucharist than he did in the Incarnation. In the Incarnation, God becomes man. He humbles himself. St. Paul talked about that a few weeks ago. Even more so in the Eucharist, even his humanity is cloaked, not just his divinity. And he gives himself to us, not just in this sacrament of his abiding presence, but as our communion, our supernatural nourishment. It's not just his presence. His great love for us is manifested in the Eucharist. We can experience that and should experience that. And that love invites us to respond, to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, to love our neighbor as ourself. I could imagine a, a final objection. Look, God isn't asking us to love him. He's commanding us to love him. That's weird. What's he, why is he imposing it on us as a commandment? Well, again, we misunderstand you know, God's commandments in our age. Parents do not make rules for their children because they want to impose their will on them. Parents make rules for kids to protect them and make sure they're safe so that they can flourish. That's why parents say, don't play in the street and do your homework. Well, in an analogous way, that's why God gives us commandments, so that we might be protected, that we might flourish. Because the very purpose of our existence is to know and love God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And only in knowing and loving Him well, we experience the peace that we long for and that we have a tendency to look for in all kinds of places, but not find. In God alone, our souls will find the rest and happiness we long for. So how do we love him with all our heart, our mind, our soul? Well, we spend time with him. You know, I think of that, that image of, of medieval piety, seeing one's maker. They would adore their Lord in that brief moment when the host and then the chalice were elevated. And we ought to spend time in adoration before the Blessed Sacrament, either in the formal exposition or just coming into the church to pray before the tabernacle. How we spend our time shows what we value. And it can enable us to love God more and more. And of course we must, if we're gonna love God, we must love what God loves and who God loves, and that's our neighbor. So we must strive to love 
others, even and especially those who annoy us and get on our nerves and maybe, maybe have wronged us. And then finally, I'd say this. You know, Jesus says we must love God with our mind. What does that mean? Well, when we love someone, we, we want to know them. We want to know about them. God has revealed to us not just himself, but his, his various truths that are necessary for salvation. Part of having a relationship with God is engaging with the content of divine revelation that he revealed for us, out of love for us. And so we should read sacred scripture. We should read the catechism, which is this compilation of scripture and the teaching of the fathers of the church and the teachings of the popes and the magisteriums and saints down through the ages. We should want to know that and then conform our life to it. Let us pray that we grow in our love for God and neighbor so that he can make us into those saints he created us to be. And we can experience the happiness and rest we long for in his kingdom for eternity.